Good morning, Cross Point Church. It's so good to see you this morning. We are thrilled that you are here. I am Dan Pattengill. I am one of the pastors here at Cross Point Welcome Church. Welcome to today's podcast with Cross Point Church, today. where we share the gospel uh, we and we share our lives. The message, I just want to share with so many fun and new, exciting things going Sunday on at church, evening, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. What was even more incredible was that 40 hands went up rededicating their lives or asking Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior for the very first time. Let's give God praise. We are so thankful for that ministry and what God is doing in it. We're thankful for Pastor Madison and her leadership in there and the leadership around them. Uh, it is incredible to see what God is continuing to do uh, with that ministry. And so I just encourage you to be praying for our college students as they start on a new semester and be praying that God will continue to speak to them and guide them in a very pivotal part of their life. And uh, just encourage you just to be praying for them. And so we're just thrilled for what God is going to continue to do. Last week, we started a new series in Galatians. Pastor Jonathan preached a very powerful message on Galatians chapter 1, 1 through 10. So if you missed it, I encourage you to go back and to listen to it online. As we look at the background of the book of Galatians, we see that it's a letter to the, church, uh, to the Galatian church. In this series, we're going to look at its importance and theological relevance of our faith and life today. Specifically, we're going to see the vision of grace that Paul lays out in this letter. As we start to see and you look at the letters Paul writes, he's a very passionate man. He's very passionate about the gospel. In fact, we read about him in the New Testament, wherever he set out to do anything, he did it with all his heart. His passion for the gospel can be seen and demonstrated throughout him. We see that in some of the most, uh, some of the scriptures we're going to look at right away this morning. We're going to see that passion come out. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 2, 11 through 15. So feel free to look there. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen as well. When Cephas, who is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him uh, to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that we can continue to dive in and find ways to grow in our walk with you. But God, as we look at your word, we continue to see your love and your grace that you have for us. And God, I pray that today we just really allow to see how much you care for us. God, we give this time to you, Lord. We love you and we praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at this scripture, we see that 
Paul felt compelled to rebuke and condemn Peter for his actions, thus defending the gospel and demonstrating his own independence and quality as an apostle. On his arrival at Antioch, Peter, Peter found Jewish and Gentile Christians fellowshipping together. So because of the vision Peter had at the house of Simon the Tanner, you can find that in Acts 10 through 9, 15. I'm not going to go through that. But he felt free to eat with the Gentiles. And he did so on a regular basis. While lasted, this was a beautiful demonstration of the unity of Jew and Gentiles in Christ. But as some conflict occurred when some arrived from Jerusalem who were shocked at Peter's conduct, Peter was influenced by their presence and slowly but surely began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. And it believes that it was a gradual withdrawal, that maybe it was just a few meals with the Gentiles, but then finish it only with Jewish Christians. But either way, by such actions, Peter, in effect, was teaching that there were two bodies of Christ, Jewish and Gentile, and that was heresy. But why did Peter do this? Not because of any change in theology, but simply out of fear. He was afraid of what they were going to think of him. Paul defends the gospel here, that it's for all, not just for a select few. And Paul's going to continue to expound on the gospel here in these upcoming verses. And I want to look at a word before I go into this scripture here. It's a word called justification. And so when we talk about justification, it's a legal term that was borrowed from the law courts. It's mean to declare righteous. To declare righteous. It's opposite to condemn. And so in Christian doctrine concerning how believers are declared to be in the right with God through their faith in Jesus Christ. So in Galatians chapter 2 through 15 through 21 is where we're going to look now. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful, sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law. So that I may live for God, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for it is righteousness could be gained through the law. Christ died for nothing. I think sometimes it's challenging for us to accept that we are justified. That he declares us righteous when we have done something so very wrong. Where we deserve something so much more. Whenever we find ourselves making a mistake in life, say a speeding ticket. Or having a late fine that we didn't pay our bill in time. There's a fee that must be paid. And so we make it right. We write the check, and we move on from it. 
But Jesus declares us righteous. He steps in for us. And that sometimes, I think, creates a tension for us. We want to make things right with God. So how can we make things right with God? Is it through the work that we do, or is it our faith? It clearly states that salvation is by faith in Christ alone. That's it. Our faith in Christ alone. We have to have a personal relationship with him, asking for the forgiveness of our sins. So why do we feel so pulled to earn God's love or make things right? I think to be able to answer that question, I think we got to look at sin and seeing how we respond to sin and the effects that sin has in our life. And so I went back and I started thinking about this as I was preparing it. I was thinking, when was the time when I first sinned? And this is the story that came to my mind. It takes me back to 1989, and I was in kindergarten. <laughs> Long time ago. So I remember this day vividly. I don't know why I remember it. I think it's probably because of the mistake that I made. But anyways, it was wintertime, and I grew up in Wisconsin, and Wisconsin at that time had lots and lots of snow. And so we went out to recess and we played in the snow. Me and my kindergartner buddies, we got together and we started to make a nice big snowball. And it kept on getting bigger. So we brought more kindergartners over and our thing was just growing and growing and growing. And it was awesome. Then all of a sudden I noticed that on the other side, the first graders saw what we were doing. We were that cool. And they started to make the same type of snowball. And so they started to build theirs. But the kindergartners... We had them beat because we started ahead of time, and we were really proud of it. So recess ended, and I remember walking back in to go to class, and all of a sudden, there were some first graders that came over and were like, man, that snowball is awesome you guys made, and I'm like, yeah, it is. I was proud of it, and so they were being nice buddy-buddy. Remember, they're first graders. They're like a whole year older, so they're like, hey, would you trade the kindergarten snowball for our snowball? And I'm like, sure. And honestly, I did not think anything of it. I thought I was just being nice, and I gave him the snowball, and I thought it maybe had an in with the first graders. And so went to class, and then second recess happened, and all of a sudden, all the kindergartners I saw running, my friends running to the snowball, then I saw all the first graders running to the same snowball. And I just remember going, this is not good. And so I remember stepping back and trying to hide as best as I could because I know that this was not going to end well because I never talked to the kindergartners about trading our snowball away. And I was not feeling good about this. And so I saw them start arguing. Then I saw a teacher come over, and the teacher is asking, what happened here? And the first grader said, Daniel said that he, we could have this snowball. So I tried to hide a little bit more because I knew the teacher was going to come find me. And the teacher found me, and she asked me, she said, did you give away the snowball to the first graders? And I go, nope. <laughs> and again, realizing this is not good. And so I don't really remember. I think the teacher may have believed me. This is kind of where I forget, but I just remember all of a sudden continuing to feel horrible for what I had done. I had lied now to a teacher, and I just kept, I didn't want to face my kindergartners' friends the rest of the day, and I did not want to face the first graders. I felt like I was on an island by myself. But I was facing for the first time some things I had never experienced, and it was guilt and it was shame for a mistake and a sin that I had just committed. 
And so I think the next place we need to look at is the word of God and looking at sin. So I want to go to Genesis chapter 3, 6 through 12, where sin enters the world. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also uh, desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put me here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And so right here at the beginning of time, we begin to see some things that are taking place when sin entered the world. When they ate from the fruit, they realized their eyes were open. All of a sudden, they felt like they needed to cover some things up. And so they began to go from there to hiding. And I think they were experiencing some new emotions that they had never experienced before. They were trying to figure out how to handle a situation of being in sin. They were experiencing some guilt and shame for the mistakes that they had made, and they didn't know what to do. And so I'm super thankful, though, so much has changed since sin has entered the world. So again, we look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, and this is what it says. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have to put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ. Not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. No one will be justified. We can never be justified by the works that we've done or by following all the laws, or just being a good person to become right with God. As Pastor Jonathan shared last week in a powerful message of being, reminding us that in this world we face a lot of challenges, but at the end there's a heaven and there is a hell, and the reality of that. And that can be a really hard thing to deal with. And so we can try to work and work and do all the right things, say all the right things, do all the right things. But that still will not be enough. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. There's no work that we can do to make it right. Because when sin entered the world, something happened. It separated us from God because God is holy and with sin in there, we can't be around it. 
And it separates us. We can't even be around holy. We can't be around God because the sin that we've allowed into our lives, we are unworthy because of it. And so as looking at Romans 6, 21 through 23, it says, what benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? So those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin, have you become slaves of God? The benefit you reap leads to holiness, leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Salvation gives the benefit of a holy and clean life for us. He declares us righteous so that we can be holy and be in God's presence. The result of sin, though, is death. The end of salvation, though, is eternal life. This death, though, that is eternal, is separation from God in hell. It's separation from God. So this is the wages we have earned, though, and deserve because of our sin. But the gift of God is eternal life. Eternal life is a gift that cannot be earned. And so as we continue to look at scripture with that, how it cannot be earned is looking at Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 9. So Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 9, this is what it says, For it by grace you have been saved through faith, and, that, uh, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For it is by grace that you have been saved. Through our faith. I believe that sometimes this is really hard for us to grasp and truly let that sink in that we can't earn his love. There's nothing that we can do. We are so, un- we are so unworthy, yet he sanctifies us because he loves us. Because he loves us. I love in Galatians chapter 19 through 21, I looked at the message and I just loved how they worded this, and so I just want to read that with you. So 19 through 21, and the message says this. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a law man so that I could be a God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I'm no longer driven to impress impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going to go back on that. I love how it's said in here, we must have our full identity in him. That our identity needs to be in him. It can't be anything else. Our identity needs to be in Christ. And so I want to propose a question to you at this moment. What is your identity in? 
What is your identity in right now? Our identity can be in so many different things. Our job, our kids, our home, our cars, our status of life, how many likes that we have, how many friends we have, where we are in a social status. These are all distractions to from having our identity in Christ. We face things more than we face these things more often than we think. I think Peter even faced this as we looked at the beginning of scripture when he was around his Jewish friends. Our identity should never shift or change because of who showed up in the room. Our identity should never shift or change because of who showed up in the room. It should always stay in Christ. Our identity in Christ should be the same as it is in church, as it is in the workplace, when we're out golfing with our friends, with our neighbors, fill in your blank. Our identity should be in him in all those locations. It shouldn't change. And so with looking at our identity, I looked at from, from myself and my identity. And, and you know what? I face my struggles in my life in this area, chasing after wrong things. Worrying about what others may think of me. I've even placed my identity in the wrong areas with even being a pastor sometimes. When God called me to go into full-time ministry, I was all in. I wanted to please God. I wanted to do everything I could to move the kingdom forward. There have been times in ministry where I don't feel like I did enough. I felt like I should have been able to reach more people. Should have been there for that individual during that time. That I could have been there for more kids when I was a children's pastor. That should have made sure that they weren't led astray. In this season of life, I remember I felt like I couldn't do enough for God. My identity was in the wrong place. My motives may have been even right, I think, at times. There was a season, though, where I just felt like I wasn't enough for God. Felt like I wasn't enough. Felt like I was disappointing him. Felt like I let him down. Then a time of worship and prayer during that season, I remember, felt like God just said to me, if you stop being a pastor, I would love you the same. I love you for you, not for the things you do. And man, a weight was lifted to know that Christ's love for me wasn't dependent on a decision or, or my title. My identity was through him. And I think this can be a continual challenge for a lot of us. This is a continuous challenge that I have to face daily. Because we're human, we have a desire to want to do well and to impress others. But in Titus chapter 3, Four through five, it says, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us, through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. He saved us, not because of righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. 
because of his love. And that is so amazing to think how much he cares and he loves for us. I want to share a story with you about a father and a son. And this father and his son were very close. They were very tight, had a great relationship. But then the son all of a sudden just started going astray and started to focus a little bit more on himself than anything else. And his father and him got into this argument. The son said, all the, said horrible things to his father, started doing everything the opposite of what his father would want him to do. And his heart was not in a good place. He did horrible things during this season of life. Then there was a moment where the son began to realize the mistakes he had made. And he went back to his father, and he told his father, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the things that I said. I'm sorry for the things that I've done. And the father looks at him and says, son, I forgive you, and I love you. And in that moment, the son felt relieved that his, son, that his father would forgive him for the mistakes that he had made and that he would love him. But from there, some time went on. And all of a sudden, the son just began to think back about all those things he said to his father and all those things that he did, and he began to feel awful. And he wanted to do something for his father to show him that he loved him. And so he went and he got this gift for his father. He bought him a watch. And he was so excited to give his dad this watch. He wrapped it. And he took it and he brought it to his dad. And he handed him the gift. And the dad unwraps the gift. He opens it, looks at the watch. And he smiles. And he looks at him and he says, thank you. Son, I love you. And this was a powerful moment between a father and a son. The son went away feeling really good about the relationship that they had. Then again, some time passed. And the son started replaying the mistakes that had taken place that he had made to his father. And he started to play them over and over in his mind again. He's like, ah, oh, I got to do something to make it right. I got to make it right with my dad. My dad, I, I want to show with my actions. So he knew his dad loved the garden. And he loved being at the patio and sitting out and looking at God's creation. And so one weekend, he worked all weekend and created this beautiful garden for his father. And he was so excited for his dad to come home. And his dad came home, he took him to the back garden, and he saw it, and the dad just smiled. And he said, thank you. And he looked at his son, and he said, I love you. Another powerful moment that took place between this father and son. But again, time crept in. And all of a sudden he started replaying again all those things that he had done to his father and he couldn't let it go. He so badly wanted to make it right. And so he went and he wanted to make a name for his dad. So he wanted to join corporate America and climb the chains to get to the top so that his dad could be so proud of him, to know that the family name would have a legacy in the world. And so the son left home, worked hard as he could, and he kept on working and working, and he got new promotions, new promotions, 
And then he got to the point where he was offered the job of CEO. And he was so excited, he had finally reached his goal. And he went to go grab his phone to call his dad, but then he decided, no, I need to go home. I want to see my dad's face when I tell him. And so the son went and flew home. They went out into the back patio where the garden was. The dad was wearing his watch. And the son looked at his dad and said, Dad, I'm the CEO. And the dad looked at him and he smiled. He said, that's great. And he said, I love you. It was a powerful moment again between father and son. And the son was feeling so good, they had a great time that weekend together. He was getting ready to leave the next day and he was laying in bed. And something just wasn't setting right. He started replaying again over and over what he had done. He just couldn't let it go. He wanted to make it right with his father. And it just broke his heart because he's like, I don't think there's anything that I can do for my father. I've done all these things. And so he got up that morning, he was having coffee with his dad. And his dad noticed that his son seemed kind of off. And he looked at his son and he said, son, what's bothering you? He said, dad, I just feel awful for all the things that I did in the past, the mistakes that I made, how I treated you. I just, I want to make it right with you. I just want to make it right. And the father looked at his son with tears in his eyes. And he said, son, I love you because you are my son. Not because of gifts you have given me or the job that you have. I love you because you are my son. You can't earn my love because you already have it. You already have it. Nothing can ever change that. Nothing can ever change that. The son was after his love, his father's love, which he already had. But he was holding on to guilt and shame from the past and wanted to make it right. And I think sometimes we can do that with our Heavenly Father. We hold on to past sins and past mistakes and we just want to make it right. But here's the thing is that there's nothing that we can do to earn His love because He's already given us His love. He loves you for you because you're a child of God. And that's what our identity should be in, that we are a child of God. We'll have a lot of other things in this world that will identify who we are. But that is the thing that we must hold on to wherever we walk and we go. That He loves us no matter what. That He is there for you. Some of you may have your identity in the wrong area right now. I know that at times I've had struggles with that. Still face those moments. But I want to encourage you to know that God loves you for you. Not for what you can do for Him. Love is there for you. I encourage you to let that sink in. To truly know that you are a child of God. That you are a child of God. If everybody could bow their heads and close their eyes.
Some of you in this room, I don't know the challenges you've faced in your life. Maybe you've been seeking after some wrong things in areas of your life. So the question of where your identity is in, you had a hard time answering that because you realize that maybe they've been in some wrong areas that hasn't been fully in Christ. I encourage you, just put your identity fully in Him and not of this world. I know there's some of you in this room that have never maybe even had the opportunity. You never even knew who Jesus was or fully understood His love for you. You thought you had to earn his love and it's just sitting there right there for you and so in just a moment you have an opportunity to ask Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life and forgiveness of your sins or you maybe just need to rededicate your life because your identity has been in the wrong area it has been in the world and it has not been in Christ you've been chasing the wrong things And so, if you in this room need to ask Jesus to be Lord of your life and the forgiveness of your sins, or rededicate your life to him right now, just raise up your hand and say, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Or if you need to rededicate your life to him. Please stand. If you raise your hand, I'm going to have you repeat a prayer after me, but know that you won't be saying this prayer alone, but we'll be praying alongside you. All they have to do is just mean it with everything within your heart, to know that Jesus loves you, and that he forgives you, and that your identity can be fully in him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much. For sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me I admit that I'm a sinner I admit that I messed up this morning I ask for your forgiveness come give me a fresh start be my king be my savior take over every area take over every aspect Help me from this day forward to live for you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise. If you accepted Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior and forgiveness of your sins, Or if you rededicated your life, I encourage you just to text this number on the screen, 319-250-8998. Again, it's 319-250-8998. And just text the word yes. We'd love to be able to follow up with you and just encourage you on your walk with God. I encourage you to do it with other people. Get signed up for a small group. Be in community. Don't walk this life alone. But as we wrap up, we always save one song at the end for a time of worship and a time of prayer. So the prayer team's going to be coming up.
here in just a moment. If you need prayer for anything, I just encourage you to come up and be prayed for. And then if there's areas in your life that you're just struggling maybe with where your identity is in, come up and be prayed for. Ask God for some help along the way. Let me pray, and then we'll go into our time of worship and prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your love for us. God, sometimes your love is so amazing that it's hard for us to even understand, that we can't even earn it, that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die on the cross for us, Lord to step in to declare us righteous. And so God, I pray for everybody in this room. God, I pray for people that their identity maybe has been in the wrong area. God, I pray that they make adjustments in their life to be in the right identity with you, to be a child of God. God, I pray for the people that have been trying to earn your love, been trying to do and do and do all these things. And maybe even with the right motives, but they just feel like they haven't done enough for you to get that love that they want from you, Lord. Allow them to know that you love them. Let that sink in, and may they hold on to that, Lord. God, we're so thankful for your love, your mercy, and your grace, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have prayer needs, please come up. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.